It is uh, great to at least be able to sing and to praise the Lord. I wish we could do it all together, uh, but this is a, a nice alternative given the situation. And I just want to say thanks to those of you who have been checking in on me and in our family. Uh, we're doing well. We had dealt with some sickness probably about a month or so ago. Uh, everybody's healthy. Everybody's feeling good. We pray that that continues. And, uh, and honestly, I've just been really encouraged with our kids. They've uh, been super adaptable, uh, and their attitude through this has really honestly surprised me. And so uh, I'm, I'm praying that continues, just like I pray for you and your family, uh, that you're doing well during this time. Uh, this is such a weird time, isn't it? And, uh, and there's just so much uncertainty. And so listen, I'm, I'm not a prophet. Uh, I don't have a crystal ball, and it would be foolish to try to make any kind of specific predictions. But, but here's what I will tell you, and this has been shaping my prayers a lot for us as, as a church family, is I think that the opportunities that we are gonna have now and in the coming weeks and months to, to really be the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to this community are profound. And so uh, I, I, just, I just want us to be praying along those lines that God would open up doors for the gospel, that God would open up doors for us to be able to serve and to be able to bless our neighbors. We need to be smart. We need to be uh, thoughtful. We need to follow protocols and do that sort of stuff. But I just think there's going to be unprecedented opportunity for us to be able to be a blessing. And so all of that stuff that Alessi talked about earlier, I hope you get involved with that, with the blood drive and with M25 and with uh, your neighbors. And uh, we just want to see God work in a powerful, powerful way. Uh, one of the most important things as we think about being good neighbors and being a blessing is that we've got to be connected to our Heavenly Father. And so that's what this series is about. We're in this series through the Lord's Prayer, and we're looking each week at just a portion uh, from that Lord's Prayer. And, and it begins, uh, the section we're going to look at today, talking about hallowing God's name. So if you have a Bible, I'd love you to grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I want to read just the part that's right before the prayer, and then I want to read the whole prayer itself, and then, as I said, we're going to kind of zoom in on this phrase, hallowed be your name. So here's what Jesus says, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the Lord's prayer. And as I said, we're focusing on this phrase, hallowed be your name. Let me ask you, what is in a name? What's in your name? Do you have any idea what your name means? I didn't actually until this week. I had to look it up and figure out what my name means. And here's what I found. The name Luke means light giving, light giving. That's cool. I kind of like that, especially as a preacher. I feel like that's some of what I do is, is communicate the light of Jesus to the world. So, so that's kind of fun. I had so much fun looking into that. I just thought, let me look at all of my family uh, members. And so I, I uh, looked up my wife's name, Molly. And Molly, this is such a cool one. Molly means star of the sea. 
star of the sea. It's perfect. She loves the sea. She loves the ocean. She was a swimmer in college. She teaches swim lessons. And so that is just perfect that her name means star of the sea. Uh, How cool. Uh, That's actually better, by the way, than uh, what her name used to mean. I found out that the name Maul, that's kind of a nickname I use for, hey, hey, Maul. (laughs) The name Maul, it used to mean gangster's girlfriend gangster's girlfriend. So gangster's girlfriend. I think this is better that it's star of the sea than gangster's girlfriend. Uh, But that's what Molly's name uh, used to mean. Uh, What about Abby and my kids? Well, Abby is actually uh, a name that I knew when we picked it. Uh, The name Abby means father's joy, father's joy. And from the earliest days that she's been part of our family, she has been a joy to our family. Our second daughter, Caitlin, she's 11 and her name means pure pure. That's been one of our prayers for her for years is that she would be pure, that she would be pure in heart. And I'll just tell you, when you see her smile and her eyes light up, it's a, it's a brightness that just looks like purity and and a bright reflection in her eyes. It's amazing. Uh, Then I think about Mary. Uh, Mary came along six years after Caitlin and Mary's name has a lot of different meanings. Mary means a lot of different things, but the one that I like the most is the name wished for child wished for child. You know, Mary, like I said, came along after six years of hoping that we'd have more kids and praying we'd have more kids and it wasn't happening. And, and then along came Mary, the wished for child. By the way, like I said, there's a lot of names for Mary. I think wished for child's better than the other one that I saw, which was C of bitterness. <laughs> sea of bitterness. I'm, I'm not going to hold on to that one. And then there's Henry. Henry, our little guy, Hank. He's three years old. And you know what Henry's name means? Henry means home ruler home ruler. And if you spend some time around our house, that would just be absolutely appropriate. So it's interesting, you know, when you think about names, maybe you picked some names of your children based off of what it meant. A lot of times in our culture, we just pick names based on what sounds good or uh, maybe a family member or something like that. What's interesting is in biblical times, names were very much bound up in who a person was, what their character was, who they were to be. So if you think about the angel telling Joseph that he needed to name uh, his and, and Mary's forthcoming child, Jesus, name him Jesus. Well, why? Because the angel says, name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the name Yeshua. It means God saves. So in the name, Jesus is a communicating something about who he is and, and what he would do. That, that's how ancient people saw this. And that's for sure how God sees himself when he reveals what his name is. There's a place where God does this in Exodus 34. We looked at this some months ago uh, when we were walking through the book of Exodus. And in Exodus 34, beginning in verse five, it says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Now get this, this is so interesting. God just doesn't say a name, but when God proclaims his name, he proclaims all this stuff about his character, about what he's like. It says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The name of God reveals his character. He is merciful and gracious. He's abounding in love, but he's also just. That's who God is. 
And that's how God wants to be revealed to us and to the nations. And so it makes sense then that that there would be a high reverence in the scripture for God's name. And because of that reverence, it makes sense that when Jesus is teaching us to pray, one of the first things he says is, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed, let's just be honest, that's a weird word. We don't use that word for hardly anything. Probably the, the main reason the translators translate it as hallowed is because that's how the King James was translated and that tradition has just continued. But, but, but you hear the word hallowed and, and you don't necessarily know what it means. The, the closest thing I could think of of when we might use this, like I was imagining Mark Timpani, one of the guys at our church who um, loves Notre Dame football. And I could just imagine him going to Notre Dame Stadium and walking on the hallowed ground at Notre Dame. And that might be the only place we would think about using that. That, that word hallowed, it means, it means set apart, it means to consecrate, to treat as holy, to sanctify, to revere. That's what it means to hallow something, to revere it, to set it apart, to see it as holy, to see it as supreme, to see it as important. Another spot where we maybe hear this word hallow is in that, uh, I don't know if you call it a holiday or not, but Halloween. And Halloween comes from uh, the idea of Hallow's Eve has turned into Halloween. And that comes from, you know, October 31st is Halloween. The next day is All Hallow's Day. All Hallow's Day. That's a holiday that the Catholic Church has celebrated for many, many years. And All Hallow's Day, or All Saints Day, is talking about the holy ones. It's honoring the the holy set-apart people of the church. And so uh, Halloween is, is connected to that. So again, it's a weird word. We don't hear about it much, but it's really, really significant. So here's what we're going to reflect on as we think about this prayer in this part of Jesus' prayer. We are going to look at the inevitability of hallowing some name. We're all going to hallow something. We're going to look at the priority of hallowing God's name, and we're going to look at the ability of hallowing God's name. That's what we're going to reflect on today. So let's pray, and we'll dive in with it. Father, we want to honor your name. We want to set you apart. We want to see you as holy Uh, We want to revere you. We want to see you as special. Uh, We want you to have the top priority in our lives. So we pray, God, that you would use this time to shape us, to mold us into the image of Jesus so that we would hallow your name. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So first, let's reflect on the inevitability of hallowing some name. All of us are going to hallow something. We're going to revere something. We're going to set apart something. Hallowing is treating something as absolutely sacred, and all of us do that. Every one of us lives for something. We have to. We have to live for something. Something has to be our bottom line, our personal center, our most important thing. And whatever the most important thing for us, that's what we hallow. There's a lot of different things in the world that that we might hallow. We might hallow our career We might live for our career. We might live for possessions. We might live for appearance. Maybe the most important thing for us is romance or approval or achievement or good causes. Some people live for their freedom, some for their health, for marriage, for children, or for being a good person, or some combination of all of this, right? This isn't just one thing, but but all of us live for something. And here's the reality. Whatever you live for, will lead to guilt if you don't get it, if you fail, right? If you, if you are living for your career and you don't have a great career, 
you're going to be guilty. If you're living for your children and you feel like you fail them in some way, you're going to feel guilty, right? So, so it leads to, to guilt if you fail. Whatever you live for leads to anger if it's blocked, right? Like some people right now, their freedom is blocked. And uh, we can't go out and do the things that we're used to doing. And, and we're getting angry about it because we don't have access to the thing that really drives us, which is maybe our own personal freedom. You experience fear if whatever you live for is threatened, right? If, if what you live for is security, right now is a time where you're very, very afraid because the most important thing to you is threatened. It leads to drivenness, right? If, if you have to live for someone's approval, then, then you're going to be driven to get the approval of people, maybe a parent or maybe a loved one or maybe a boss or maybe of people you don't even like that much, but you're going to be driven to have their approval. And it will lead to despair if you lose it. If you live, the most important thing in the world is your appearance and your appearance begins to fade, you'll despair over it. Just think about this for a moment. If Jesus is my center, if Jesus is my bottom line, if, if Jesus is the one whose name I hallow deepest in my heart, if I lose my job, and some of you are experiencing this right now, then I'm going to be sad, and I'm going to be upset, and I'm going to be uh, discouraged, and I might even be a little bit fearful, but ultimately I'm going to be able to say, my treasure is not in my career, my treasure is in Jesus. On the other hand, if your bottom line, if the name that you hallow is your career, if that's the most important thing to you and you lose your job right now, you're despondent. It's a totally different thing. Now, here's what this means, this inevitability of hallowing some name. Here's what this means. This means that everybody, even irreligious people, are worshiping something. You might be here watching today and thinking, I'm, I'm not even a religious person. I'm not really a church person. Here's what I want you to know. You still are a worshiper. You worship something. Here's the other thing to know. Even religious people are often worshiping things other than God. Even religious people can, can kind of fall back into old patterns where Jesus and, and, and the Lord are not supreme. And they're not the greatest treasure, but instead we live for other stuff. And God has an interesting way of revealing that to us. I, some couple years ago, I had the chance to do a sabbatical. I was uh, given the opportunity by our elders and by our church family to, to be off for about 10 weeks where I wasn't allowed to be productive. And I just had to rest and, and uh, be with family and have a time of spiritual renewal. And that was kind of the idea that I would come back stronger from that experience. And overall, it was a great experience. But here's what I'll tell you. About three weeks into it, I realized something. About three weeks into it, I realized that I was angry. I was irritable. I was frustrated. I found myself snapping at the kids. I found myself grouchy and grumpy. I didn't have anything but fun stuff to do. And I was angry and I just couldn't figure it out. And so I, I thought and I prayed and I actually talked to a counselor and I, it was like, what's going on with me? Why am I feeling so, so angry when everything in my life right now is amazing? And what I came up with was the reason was I didn't have anything to achieve. And achievement had become something that was maybe just a little bit too important. And so you go on a sabbatical where you can't achieve in the same way and all of a sudden now you're angry. Let me ask you, what are you hallowing? What are you living for? Really? What are you living for Really? I just wonder if one of the things God will do during this season 
is, is reveal some things that we've been hallowing, that we've set apart as sacred and we've held on to too tightly. Things that have taken the place of God and maybe he just wants to do some rearranging in our hearts. But hallowing is inevitable. Second thing to reflect on from this passage is the priority of hallowing God's name. So it's inevitable we're gonna hallow some name, uh, but this passage gives us a priority. It's important to hallow God's name. And we see that even just in the, the placement of this particular thing. You know, the, the prayer opens our Father in heaven. That's what we looked at last week. But the very first request that Jesus tells us to make is hallowed be your name, which means that before any petitions happen, like give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, protect us from temptation, before any of those petitions, we begin with praise. We begin with saying, praise be to your name. Holy is your name. Sacred, important, essential is your name. This is the priority of hallowing God's name. I'll just be honest, too many of my prayers begin like this. God, help me to blank. God, bless this activity. God, would you help so-and-so with such and such? And, and listen, th this isn't like some rule. Uh, this isn't a formula. It's not like if you don't begin with praise or if you don't begin with howling God's name, God isn't going to hear you. That, that's not the idea at all. But, but this is a kind of pattern. This is a kind of mentality that says we should begin with praise because our praise of God actually frames our requests. I've noticed just in these last few weeks, there's a huge difference between when my kids start the day with screens and when they don't, right? That's what a lot of the little ones, especially, they, they wake up and, can I watch a show? Can I play this video game? Can I watch a show? Can I do this? And, and sometimes, just like you do, we let them do that. And uh, the days when we let them start the day that way, it just frames the whole day in a way that isn't quite as great. And in the same way, if, we, if our prayers are framed by the praise of God, that informs the rest of our prayers. See, I, I think some of you might be out there and you're praying and you're praying and you're asking, you're asking, you're saying, God, give me peace. God, help me to have faith instead of fear. God, calm me. God, I'm feeling anxious. God, help me to not be so discouraged right now. God, help, God, help, God, help, God, help. And that's an amazing thing. You should keep praying for that. But maybe part of the reason that you're not experiencing the level of comfort and the level of peace and the level of calm is because maybe you've forgotten to praise. Praise the holy, majestic, strong, beautiful, amazing God. Praise him first and see if that doesn't at least somewhat inform your distress and, and, and give you a peace that even as you ask God to help you, he is a God who can and who will. The priority of hallowing God's name, we have to see him as essential and as first. Here's a third thing to reflect on is the ability of hallowing God's name, the ability of hallowing God's name. See, here's what's interesting. It's inevitable that some, everyone is gonna hallow something and Jesus wants our priority to be to hallow his name, but most of us don't, right? Most of the things that most people are hallowing, that we're esteeming, that we're worshiping, aren't God. So the question becomes, how, how does this change happen? Right? How do we go from being people who hallow everything but God to hallowing primarily God? 
How, how does that take place? Well, uh, it, it involves a transformation. It involves a change that has to happen really deeply at a heart level. So I want you, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. And in Ezekiel 36, what's going on is Ezekiel is communicating to the people of Israel who have been rebellious. They've been hard-hearted. God has revealed himself in amazing ways. And because their hearts are hard and their hearts are sinful, they haven't experienced the kind of life-giving relationship with God. They haven't been the blessing to the world that God had called them to be. So they're in exile. And in Exodus 36, God tells them, I'm going to transform you in a big way. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 22. It says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. This is interesting that God is saying, I, I'm not going to do this mostly for you. I'm actually going to do this for the sake of my name. Because, and here's the thing. We hear that and we think, gosh, is God on some kind of weird ego trip? What in the world? It's not that. Here's the thing. God knows the most satisfying reality in the world, in the universe, is him. He knows that we're like these people making mud pies in a slum, chasing after career and chasing after appearance and chasing after romance and chasing after all these things that will never satisfy. We're, we're making mud pies in a slum. We don't know what it's like to be offered a vacation at the sea. That's how C.S. Lewis described it. And, and God's saying, I'm going to vindicate my holy name because that honors me and that's good for the world. He says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. He's saying, listen, you guys haven't done any great honors to my name. You've actually made my name look bad. Uh, you've been associated with my name. You've been identified as my people. You're, you're, oh, you're God's people, Israel. Uh, but you're making me look bad because you're actually hallowing other names. And so I need to change some things. So here's, here's what he says he'll do. He says, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. That's, I think, a foreshadowing of the practice of baptism. Baptism always involves water and it's this picture of being cleansed from our sin. He says, from your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, the only way that we're gonna hallow God's name, the way we were intended to be, the way that gives God honor and the way that fulfills our lives as his people made in his image. The only way we're gonna be able to do that is if he changes our hearts. We need new hearts. We need a heart transplant. We need to have the heart of stone taken out and a soft heart put in its place. Now, uh, some of you, uh, not very many, but a few of you have had heart transplants and I'm not sure what kind you had. Most people don't uh, realize that there are actually two kinds of heart transplants. The first kind is what's called orthopic. That's probably what we normally think of as a heart transplant. It's where you take out the old heart and you put in the new heart. Just swap one for one. That's orthopic. But the second kind of heart transplant that's a little less common is called heterotopic. 
It's the idea of side by side. What they do is actually, uh, they'll actually tie someone's heart and a new heart together and they'll, they'll keep those together. And the idea is that, you know, they can kind of work together. They can kind of be in partnership. Um, if one starts to fail, the other one can kind of pick it up. It's, it's not a total replacement. It's just making it a little bit stronger. Now, here's the thing. If we're honest, most of us, when we think about a heart transplant from God, we'd like the second kind. We'd like the side-by-side thing. We, we, we don't want to admit that we are so bad and that our hearts are so corrupt that, that they have to be totally removed. We, we kind of want to go, well, God, just come in and, and give me another heart. Give me a, a, maybe a little bit better and we can kind of cooperate in this project of, of honoring you. And the reality is God only does one kind of heart transplant. He takes out the old and he puts in the new. He takes out the selfish He takes out the corrupt. He takes out the idolatrous. He takes out the heart that loves everything but God. And he puts in a new heart. And he puts in his spirit. And he makes it where we want to obey him, where we want to hallow him, where we want to revere him. That's the heart that God gives us. Listen, church family, this is our moment to shine in this world. This season is a moment for us to shine, to show the world that Jesus is our real treasure, to show the world that we're not living for our career and we're not even living mostly for our family and we're not living for our appearance or for our status or for our security or for our income. We're not living for those things. We are living for him and Jesus is the one who satisfies. I've been reflecting on this quote by Ray Ortland Jr. I love this quote. He says, we prove Satan a loser not by winning, getting rich, staying healthy, but by going through living hell and still loving and praising Jesus. Some of you are going through living hell. Keep loving and praising Jesus. Some of you, you maybe have convinced yourself it's living hell, but it's really just inconvenience. Nonetheless, our lives are disrupted. Keep loving and praising Jesus. Jesus. Show your friends, show your family, show our community that he is the treasure they need. Hallowed be his name. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we want to honor you as sacred, as primary, as holy. There's no one like you, Lord. And so we praise you and pray that our, the attitude of our hearts and the behavior of our lives would demonstrate that you are hallowed in our hearts. God, would you be first? Would you be central? Would you be supreme? God, so that our hearts would be satisfied, so that you would be glorified, and so that the world would see where hope really is found. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.